Good morning, everybody. It's great to be back. We've been gone for uh, for a couple of weeks. Um, the Lord was kind uh, to uh, give me an opportunity to preach over in Cary. There's a, a local church over in Cary that uh, I got to go and, and share God's word with uh, with with the the congregation, primarily with the teens, and that was really fun. And then last week we were on vacation. Uh, we drove over to uh, Ocean City, and we're, we were enjoying our time in Ocean City. Um, our truck was not enjoying its time in Ocean City, uh, because pretty much the first day that we were in Ocean City, our, transmi- our transmission uh, decided to go under. And, uh, and so we, we had a vacation, a vacation from sanity. And, um, but it was a good time that we had there as we got to enjoy uh, the aftermath of, of, uh, of the hurricane and, and, and all of that. And just watching the, the winds and the waves everywhere just reminded us again of the power of our God and the awesomeness of his might. And so it's really great to be back and, uh, and just to be reminded again of God's faithfulness through the praises of his people Again, uh, we missed y'all, and so we're so grateful to, uh, to be back and, and just once again to be encouraged uh, as we lift the praises of our King. And so with all of that said, let's jump into the Scriptures, turning your Bibles to Paul's letter to the Romans. We are in Romans 13, Romans 13. It's funny being on vacation I knew that I was supposed to be preaching this morning, and so I looked at the schedule to see where we were. We were doing a series on the church's family, and that was great, and, and then I realized that the series on the church of, as family ended this past Sunday, so it was like, well, what, what am I going to be preaching coming off of vacation? And, and I looked, and it was politics, and <laughs> wonderful. So this is actually a great passage. This is a great passage, but it's not... If you would would let me go there, it's not the most American message. It's a great message. It's a biblical message. It actually is in our scriptures. But it rubs us a bit the wrong way, and I'll, I'll explain this as we go. I may not even need to explain it because you'll see it in the very first verse. Look at verse 1. Uh, look, if you're there, say I'm there. Okay, okay, good. Uh, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. See, I told you. (laughs) Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. Those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of an authority? Well, then do what is good. Receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. I may add, be very afraid. <laughs> for he does not bear the in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the So, 
pay taxes, rulers and authorities. So Father, I pray that we would chart a different course. We're not breaking new ground. Jesus has already broken that ground for us. So Father, I ask by your Spirit that we would walk the path that our Lord has already given us. There are some who are here, Lord, that don't know Jesus. And perhaps this sounds foreign to them. Perhaps there are some who do know Jesus, and this sounds to them as well. And so we ask, Lord, that you would give us help. Lord, for those who don't know Christ, I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, move in their hearts and in their minds, that they would submit to the rule and authority of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that if there are any that are here that, uh, that do believe in Jesus, but are struggling, Lord, may your spirit work in them, that they may hear this and that they may follow Jesus and follow him well. Have your way among us. Do great things in our midst. And we ask that the Lord, our Savior, Jesus, would be exalted. We pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, you know, when someone runs for any type of political office, you realize that they are, at that moment, uh, some of the most popular people in our country. They come with all the hope and all the optimism, right? Uh, We know people that talk a lot about change. We know people who talk about hope. We know people who talk about a new day and all of these things that they they bring to the, the public conversation. We're the ones who are able to help. We're the ones who are able to solve. We're the ones who can fix things and so on. And it's all fun and games, of course. As soon as they swear in, should I switch mics? I'll switch mics. As soon as they swear in, hopefully uh, you don't have to adjust uh, my voice from Dana's voice. As soon as they swear, I'm sorry, <clears throat> as soon as they swear in, <laughs> they, uh, they come in with, uh, with all this hope and all this optimism and everything, but as soon as they swear in, then all of a sudden the, 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 the tone shifts, right? The mood shifts. Now we expect them to do stuff, and they should be doing it yesterday. And so if they are not moving to our pace, if they're not solving our problems and all of that, then we're ready for the next one. And we just have this assembly line of politicians promising and saying, hey, we want this. We're going to bring this to you. We hear your cry. We're going to go in and we're going to solve everything. And as soon as they come in, now they're the bad guy. And now we're going, boo, we hate you. We don't want you. Get out of office. We want the next person to come in. And on and on and on it goes in our society. Why? Well, because uh, 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 built into the system of America is rebellion. Y'all are quiet. It's true, right? We, We celebrate the day that we broke free from England. We celebrate the, 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 the ones who, are, uh, who, who, who buck authority, the ones who challenge the system, right? The ones who take it to the man, you know? That's what we love. They're the heroes of our culture. They're the folk heroes, the legends, and so on. They're the ones who, who are the, uh, the, the, the people that we emulate and, and so on in society. We, we see them as the ones who, uh, who, who are to be looked up to. For instance, you go down to D.C. and you can see the ones that we parade, the ones that we build statues for, and so on. 
They're the ones who did not go with the tide, but they're the ones who pushed back and said, no, we're going to change things. You are not the ones that we are to follow. We love that. I have a friend of mine who's a British, good friend of mine. And whenever we have the 4th of July, he always says, Happy Treason Day. That's his uh, affectionate name for, for the 4th of July. Uh, I, you know, they're bitter. And, <laughs> but, but, but you look at all of this, and, and what we, we, we celebrate these things, right? Freedom, victory, liberation. You know, we, we talk about the emancipation of slaves and freedom. We talk about freedom from tyrannical governments. Yes, we side with other nations who are, for, who are fighting for freedom and democracy. Yes, we are a people who just love to push back on authority. There are good reasons to do that. But it can also become a bit of a worldview, doesn't it? Isn't it? As soon as you, uh, you, you hit a new red light, and you, all of a sudden you go, well, I don't like that red light, right? I mean, who are you to tell me to stop right now? I'm not going to stop right now. I'm going to fly right through that light. We have a new light over by our house, and, it, and it's just that way. I've, I've gotten to the point that when the light turns green, I wait a couple seconds. Like, that's how bad it is, because somebody is going to fly through that red light. Why? Because no man is going to tell me to do anything. Freedom! I don't even know if they're, they may be screaming that as they crow through the interstate. Freedom! Flying all the way through. That's the way that we are. Uh, you know, the, the, we have our government talk about raising taxes, whether we're talking state and local or whether we talk about the federal level, and we're upset. No! See, that's why we don't want you in office. We want somebody to come in and fix this. I'm not paying these taxes. Where's my tea? You know, and, and that's how we are. We're a culture that pushes back on these things. As Christians, it's easy for us to get sucked into this. We've got channels that are devoted to, you know, yelling at the government. One party is in power, flip to this channel. And this channel over here is saying, this is everything that's wrong with this party. We hate everything. They need to be out of here now. You need to be grumpy for the next four years, right? And then the other party comes into power. Turn the channel. You've got the other networks. No, these people are what's wrong with the world and what's wrong with society. Throw them all out. You need to be grumpy now for the next four. And on and on and on and it goes. And as Christians, we can just be tossed to and fro, just going from side to side, following the crowd in our disgust, of the government. Here's a good question to ask. Is that biblical? Is that biblical? Remember when we were in Romans 12 several weeks ago, remember what Paul said. Look, look back at that. Romans 12 verse 1. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then he says in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, Paul is saying, in every aspect of life, in Every aspect of life, you need to learn how to think differently. Our culture says we fight 
we resist, we challenge, we push back, and the scriptures say we think differently. How do we live in a government that is not, uh, uh, you know, run by Christians, that is not, you know, run on the standards of scripture or anything like that? How do we live in this government? You could imagine for Paul that this was a very important uh, issue, not just for him, but also for his Roman believers. By this time, several Christians have been persecuted and or executed. By this time, several apostles have already seen their fate. They're dead. By this time, the Roman government is led by the emperor Nero. We talked about him a couple weeks ago when we were looking at the passage in 1 Peter. Nero has not yet become the psychopath that he would eventually become, but he is not a friend of Christianity. He is already flexing his muscles by this time. He's already challenging uh, uh, the rule of Christ and the people of Christ. He's already causing problems in the land. And if that weren't enough, being just the fact that they were under Roman occupation was, was quite a touchy subject for the Jews in the land of Israel. They did not like these foreigners, these Gentiles coming in here, taking over and telling them what to do. You remember even in our Lord Jesus' time, uh, those who would be upset at paying taxes we don't want to pay taxes. The most hated people on, in Israel were the tax collectors because they were Jews who were extorting the people and taking those money, the hard-earned money of their fellow Jews, and they would give that money to the foreign governments. They hated them for doing that. So how do we as Christians, how do they as Christians respond to Roman rule? A bad government, a foreign government was cheating the people with, with exorbitant taxes and so on. And you would expect him in this day, if Paul were living now, Paul would have a channel and Paul would just be sitting there going, this is what's wrong with these people. We hate these, these, uh, these, these extremists, these radical Romans and so on. But that's not how he talks in Romans 13. In Romans 13, Paul says in verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Everyone, raise your hand. Good, so you know what everyone means. Um, do, do you notice what, what he said there? Everyone, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. How do we respond to the government? We submit. That's Paul's answer. What is the Christian stance towards secular governments? We submit. Now, I know as soon as I say that, as soon as Paul says that, you hear it, you go, ah, blah, 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 blah. wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. What if they're evil? What if they're oppressive? What if they're unjust? What, I mean, you know, we, we got to have like some type of guardrails and all of that. We'll get there. We'll get there. But before we do, I want to actually pay attention to what Paul says. Can we do that? Here's why. Because a lot of times we look at the exceptions of the rule too quickly and so quickly that we don't even hear what the rule was to begin with. We use the exception of the rule to hit delete all on the entire rule, and that's not what we do. How do we submit? Why do we submit to the government? That's the question that Paul is answering here. Why do we submit 
to the government. And I think he gives us three reasons here in the text, three reasons for why we should submit to the government. The first reason is found in the first two verses. We submit to the government because when we do, we're submitting to God's rule. We submit to the government, we're submitting to God's rule. Look what he says, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Okay, let's break that down. First, the point that he makes here is that every position of authority comes from God. Did you see that there in verse 1? There is no authority except from God. Every single governmental position of authority is there because God put it there. God makes presidents. God makes governors. God makes Congress. God makes senates and houses of representatives. God makes uh, uh, state senates and state houses. God makes mayors. God makes city councils. God makes all of these things. It's hard for us to wrap our heads around, but every single one. Emperors. Paul's talking here in an imperial uh, uh, government, talking in in terms of Rome and the Roman Empire. Uh, the, The emperor is from God. God makes emperors. God makes kings and queens and prime ministers and parliaments all across the world. Every position of authority is there because God is the one who instituted that position of authority. And then second, notice not only every position comes from God, but notice every person in authority is placed from God. He says, those that exist, talking about the people here, have been instituted by God. The 2020 election was rigged. And so was the 2016 election and the 2012 election (laughs) and the 2008 and the 2004 and the 2000 all the way through. They were all rigged. This election next month in just a few weeks will be rigged, but not the way that you think. (laughs) It's not rigged by some nefarious conspiratorial plot or anything like that. No, it's rigged by a sovereign God. There is a God in heaven who determines every single election. There is a God who determines who becomes mayor. There is a God who determines who gets elected to any type of Senate seat. There is a God who determines who will be our next representatives. There's a God who determines the next governors, the God who determines in a few more years the next president. God is the one who does that. Your vote counts. Let's not get that twisted. Your vote does count. You are a part of the plan of God to fulfill his purposes in, uh, in political office and so on. But don't listen to the television shows and so on that say, you decide. No, you don't. You don't. That, that's just, they're, they're saying that to butter you up. You don't decide. God decides. God decides. Your vote counts, but your vote is not the deciding factor. God is the one who does that. So every single president that has taken an oath of office takes an oath of office under God. God's the one who put them there. Every single one. 
So you may have someone, you may have the bumper sticker that says, don't vote for me, I voted for blank. <laughs> And so on. And you can say that all you want, but you must also affirm, as believers, we must affirm, every single person in every single seat of authority is there by the sovereign hand of God. So when you submit to the authority, you're submitting to the rule of God, which is what he says in verse 2. Whoever resists the authority, says it in the negative, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. You get exactly what you should get because you are going against the plan of God. Now, I know, again, you're going, well, well, wait a second. I mean, there are times where we should resist. There are times where we should push back. There are times we will get there, okay? But listen to the rule first before we listen to the exceptions. So when you submit to the government, you're submitting to God's rule. Secondly, we submit to the government because they're serving out God's rulings. We're serving out God, they are serving out God's rulings. Look at verse 3. Paul says, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Notice, they're, they're authorized to terrify evildoers. He uses the word there, pho, uh, uh, the, the, the Greek word where we get uh, fear from. Phobeo is there, fear. They're, they're not there to, to terrify, to, to strike fear in doing the right thing, but in doing the wrong thing. Bad conduct. He says, would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? You want to live a fear-free life? No fear of government? No fear of punishment or anything like that? He says, then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is, look at verse 4, he is God's servant for your good. We, as we said before, the government, we, we have this, this conversation where we, we talk like the government is only evil all the time, and that's not true. That's not true. Even in our own country, you get mail. May not always come, you know, exactly when you want it, but it'll always be on time. Uh, <laughs> uh, you, you get you get mail and 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 all that. Well, that that would be the government that's doing that for you. Um, you know, you you got a, a school education. It may not have been you know the absolute best education, but you got some sort of ed- education. You can think right uh, and things like that. What is that? Well, that that is the government supplying those things. The government supplies certain things. You have those who are who are uh, in, in in extreme poverty and so on, and they need some help. They need some way of assistance in order to get back on their feet. We have a government that supplies those types of things. Now, you may say that's what's wrong with the country, but that could also be be exactly what Paul is talking about, that they are God's servant for your good. They could actually accomplish good things for you. He says that if you do wrong, though, be afraid, for he, he does not bear the sword in vain. So here's the thing that we realize. They are not only authorized to terrify evildoers, but they're also God's servant for praise or for wrath, as he goes on to say in verse 4, he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Notice, there are just laws. There are things, behaviors of humans that should be punished. 
you take the life of another person, something should happen to you. You should not be able to just go on with the rest of your day as if it was just another day or just another thing. That's not the way that this works. You committed evil, something should happen to you. Are we on the same page on that? All right? Something should happen. If, if you, going back to the stoplight, going back to the intersection, if you run a red light, you are threatening the life of someone else. As I mentioned, I stop for a couple of seconds because I just know somebody's going to go through. What if I did go through the intersection and somebody comes barreling through and, 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 and T-bones me and so on? What happens? Well, now my life is in danger. I would want something to happen to that guy. Because that guy disobeyed the laws, and that guy threatened my life. It was an endangerment to my life. That's what he's saying here. God has instituted the government to be able to bring about his judgment on evil. It's the government's role. And so we are grateful for the just laws. We, are, we should recognize that there are right punishments for evil. Not everybody should get off with a warning. But there are certain acts that are severe enough that there should be punishment. And even, as we learn from Genesis 9, God has even instituted that there are certain acts that may even require the life of the perpetrator. In Genesis chapter 9, uh, the Lord says to Noah, whoever takes a man's life from, his, uh, 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 from man, his life is to be required, for man is created in the image of God. In other words, because we are image bearers, if somebody would have such a rage against an, a fellow image bearer that they would take that person's life unlawfully, an innocent life that they would take, the scriptures say that person's life should be required of him because that's the standard for an image of God. We see this and we say, okay, we understand they're, they're, the government is to do that. So therefore, as he goes on to say in verse 5, therefore one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but notice he says, also for the sake of conscience. If I recognize that they are serving out the plan of God, if I recognize that they are accomplishing God's purposes in our land, if I recognize that they are supposed to be praising what is good and rewarding what is good and bringing judgment on evil and so on, and they are doing this under the authority of God, then my conscience should, should tell me that, it, that I cannot do what I shouldn't do, that, that I must do what is right or else I am under the just penalty of the state. What is your conscience? Well, your conscience, I like to say, is your internal referee. All right? It's got a whistle and everything. You, you do something wrong, and all of a sudden, nope, nope, personal foul. You, you shouldn't have done that, right? You feel that, right? You feel that guilt and all that. I shouldn't have done that. You get into a little shouting match with your spouse or, or with your kids or, or so on, and, and, and you just, you know, just go all off on them and everything. And, and, and then somewhere down the line, hopefully, somewhere down the line, you, you hear that, there's that, there's that whistle, yep, yep, unsportsmanlike conduct, <laughs> you, know, you shouldn't have done that, you shouldn't have said that, and, and you realize, you feel that guilt, yeah, I shouldn't have done that, that's a 15-yard penalty. 
Um, hmm. And you realize, I need to do something to make that right. That's your conscience. That's your conscience. I heard a story about a guy who wrote a letter to the IRS, and he said to them, uh, I, I have enclosed with this letter um, $150. I, I, I realized and I knew when I was doing it that I, that I lied about how much money I made this year and, and uh, I cheated on my taxes and, and, and so on, and I want to make it right. I, just, I, I could not sleep. It was, it, was just, it was just gnawing at me. And so here's my, here's my check and everything, and I've submitted to you and, and, and all that. And, you know, that, that gnawing on the soul, that, that's, that's the conscience. That's the referee. Um, he went on to say, if I still have trouble sleeping, I'll give you the rest. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, that's not what to do. <laughs> that's not what to do. But, but you hear that. There's, that. there's that conscience that says, I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't cheat on my taxes. I shouldn't do that. You're, you should have a conscience that is telling you, don't do that. I, I shouldn't be j- jumping in when, when everybody's making a mockery of those that God has put in a, into authority. I, I shouldn't jump in on that. And, and, and whether, you, you know, whether this is your time to shine and, and you're, you're just you know, having at it with Joe Biden or, or whether it was a couple of years ago you were having at it with, with Donald Trump or maybe a couple of years later before that you were having at it with Barack Obama or going all the way back, there is a point where you can, you can laugh and you can be silly and things like that. But if it's stirring in you, this, I, I hate these people, I want to see these people, you know, die or something like that, then there's something wrong with your soul. That's not the way Christians talk. It's not the way Christians feel. We are to give honor to those who are there, and that actually leads to the next point. Not only do we submit to God's rule, and not only do, we, uh, do they serve out God's rulings, but we submit to the government because we're supporting their service as sacred. We're supporting their service as sacred. And again, I know there's some that are here that are like, sacred? Are you kidding me right now? The government is sacred? Well, listen to what Paul says, verse 6. He says, for because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Now, you might miss this in the English. He said there that they were servants of God. You see in verse 4, he is God's servant for your good. And then later on in verse 4, he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath. Notice now in verse 6, he says, the authorities are ministers of God. Now you go, yeah, ministers, servants, same thing. Yeah, they're, they're synonymous, but it's actually a, this is a different word in the Greek. The word that he uses here is the same word that he used in verse, uh, in, in chapter 2, I'm sorry, chapter 12, verse 2, um, I'm sorry, chapter 12, verse 1, when he said that we presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, he says, which is your spiritual, and then he uses this word, your spiritual worship. That's the word. It's actually the word where we get our English word liturgy from, liturgy. It's a word that means service and so on, but it's a different kind of service. It's not the service of, of say, a servant, you know, on their hands and, 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 and knees and so on, you know, uh, uh, cleaning tables and washing clothes, and th- not that kind of service. Rather, the servants who are attending the temple. It's that kind of service. Or, or like we talk about what we do here as a worship 
service, right? So we are serving the Lord with our praises and serving the Lord with our prayers and serving the Lord with the preaching of the word and the Lord's Supper and serving the Lord in our fellowship with one another and kindness towards one another, workers doing tech and workers uh, playing music and workers in the back with the kids and all, all of that is our service of worship to God. Well, here in chapter 13, he says that these government authorities here are servants of God in that sense, attending to this very thing. In other words, whether they realize it or not, whether they're conscious of it or not, every single person that is in political authority is there to serve the Lord. Did you catch that? Every single one is there to serve the Lord. That's why that position exists. That's why we have presidents. We have presidents to serve the Lord. We have governors to serve the Lord. President Biden, you are in the White House to serve the Lord God. Governor Cooper, you are in the state, what is their house? The state house? That house. You are in the house there in Somewhere in the triangle. You are the, I, did, I didn't take North Carolina civics. I'm sorry. I was in Maryland. Um, but you are there you know, to serve the Lord. Okay? That's, your jo- that, that's why you're here. That's your job. That's your role. And so we support what they do as a service to God. You say, well, wait a second, because we know our tax money doesn't go exactly to you know, the work of the Lord. We know that there are tax that there's tax money that that at least as of uh, uh, as of you know uh, uh, this year uh, was going without any type of pushback or any restraint towards the funding of abortions. Now it's a state by state thing, where it goes towards the aborting of of of, of babies. We know states that are. Uh, paying with taxpayer money, gender reassignment surgeries, and, and so on. We know that there's tax money that we call a lottery that goes to the fund. Uh, well, they say it goes to education, and we trust them, right? You know, it, it, goes, it goes to, you know, supporting our schools. No, it doesn't go to supporting our school system. It never does. It all, they always say it's for education. It's for a good cause. It's never for a good cause, right? I, now, mind you, I'm a little bit jaded because I, I, you know, I was in Baltimore. And, uh, and, and we would have all of these things where uh, the governor actually went up and he said on, on live television, he said, Baltimore City schools get more education funding from the state of Maryland than all of the other counties in Maryland combined. And yet there were still schools in Baltimore City that could not start on the first day of school because they didn't have air conditioning. And the buildings were, were built with metal and, and steel and all of that. And there was just no airflow and all of that. And so they couldn't put in good faith their children into these schools or else they'd bake to death through the day. And in the wintertime, there's no heat in these schools and all that. Where's the money going? Well, of course we know where the money is going. And Paul says, pay to all what is owed to them. You pay taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. And He even goes on to say respect to whom respect is owed. Again, you don't see it in the English, but in the Greek, that word is the same word that he was using in the, in the beginning. Fear to whom fear is owed. That's what he's saying here. And then honor 
to whom honor is owed. Now you step back and you say, but I don't think they should get my taxes. I don't think they should get my fear, my respect, my re- they, they should not get my honor. So what do we do when the government seems to go sideways? What do we do? Well, first off, I think what the scriptures say here is that we are still to obey and still fulfill our civic duties. In terms of taxes, I think we need to break this up into two categories. One is our responsibility as servants under God, and one is the government's responsibility as servants under God. We pay taxes. That's our service under God, submitting to the authority of God. What the government does with that tax money is their service before God. We will give an answer before God as to whether we obeyed the Lord in paying our taxes. They will answer before the Lord as to whether they use that for the glory of God or not. You see what I'm saying? So we will have to answer for whether we did or did not obey Jesus, and so will they. If my money is going to uh, uh, Planned Parenthood or if my money is going to some uh, you know, LGBTQ cause or if my money is going to you know, funding uh, uh, prisons who are, who are uh, uh, um, uh, 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 you know, trumping up the numbers and so on with mass incarcerations and all of these different things, I will not stand before the Lord for that. They will. Do you get what's going on? They will stand before the Lord, and they will have to give an account for how they used the money that I gave for their good. The Lord will look at me, and he will say on that day, you obeyed my word. They disobeyed my word. Well done, good and faithful servant. Do you all get the, the, the kind of the breakup there that, that's going on? I think that's what Paul is saying here. Notice their money was not going to good causes in Rome. It wasn't. They, they were not, you know, they, they were dealing with things that they should not have dealt with, uh, have had to, de- uh, to deal with in that time. It's the same there as it was here for us. And Paul says, I want you to pay your taxes. Do what you're supposed to do. They will answer the Lord for what they have done. Okay? Now, where do we draw the line for civil disobedience? When we look through the scriptures, we see that there is such a thing as civil disobedience. We see that many times that is a noble thing before God. Just consider a few examples. You go into Exodus, uh, I believe it's Exodus chapter 2. And in Exodus chapter 2, you have Pharaoh who told the Hebrew midwives uh, not to uh, let any male children be born alive. If they were born, they were to execute them right there in the delivery room. And these Hebrew midwives, it says in Exodus 2, feared God. They feared God. And so they did not do what Pharaoh said. Pharaoh said, kill these babies. They said, we're not going to kill these babies. Pharaoh came over to them and said, didn't I tell you to kill these babies? They said, well, you know, what do you know? Hebrew women, they sure are strong. They're feisty. And so so Pharaoh uh, uh, then made it a law for the entire land. Everybody, take the uh, male, uh, uh, male kids and so on, male babies, throw them into the Nile, drown them all to death. 
But notice the Lord blessed the Hebrew midwives. And he says in the text that the Lord actually caused all of them to become mothers themselves. God blessed them. Why? Because when the government told them to murder these babies, the Hebrew midwives said, no, we fear the Lord. Or maybe you could talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In the fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar builds this big idol for himself, this big old statue of Nebi. And he says here, hey, here is my statue. When you hear the sound of the praise team and everybody, worship this. And so that, sure enough, you get the horns, all that, beep, 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 like that. And everybody bows down except for three guys who are just standing there going, what is wrong with all y'all? We're not, we're not. And then they said, you know, what, what's going on with these three Hebrew uh, guys? Why aren't they doing that? And Nebuchadnezzar says, bring them in here. And he says, y'all, y'all did get the memo, right? Uh, you missed your cue. At the sound of the music, everybody bows down. And they said, well, here's, here's the deal, king. Um, see, we're not going to bow down. <laughs> that, that's, not, that's not something we're going to do. If we don't bow down and you throw us into the fiery furnace, we believe that God is able to deliver us from the fire. And even if he doesn't, even if we don't, we still will not bow down to you. The Nebuchadnezzar says, turn up the heat to the furnace. They throw them into the fiery furnace. And there was one who looked through the window in the furnace and he says, didn't we throw three in? He said, yeah. He says, well, I see three, but now I see a fourth one. It looks like the fourth one is one of the son of the gods. They pulled them out and as they pulled them out, they were unscathed. No burn marks on their clothes, no burn marks on their bodies. They were miraculously delivered from all of that. God miraculously delivered them from the fiery furnace because they said no. Or what about the apostles? You got the apostles who, who are going around sharing the gospel, telling people about Jesus all over the place uh, there in Israel, and you had the government, the same government that crucified Jesus. Same people. Go to the apostles and say, what are you doing speaking in this name? You need to stop speaking in this name. They said, well, what, you do whatever you want to do, uh, guys, but we, we are not going to stop talking about this name. We know what we saw and we know what we heard, and we are going to keep on going and telling as many people about it because there is only one name given under, uh, under heaven whereby we can be saved. We're, we're going to continue to say this. Do whatever you want to do with us, but we're still going to do this. And so they beat them and they imprisoned them. And in fact, they walked out of prison being delivered by God, and it said in there that they did not go and start a, a, a focus group or anything. They didn't start a political action committee or all of that. They went to the Lord and they said, Lord, uh, the nations are raging down here. We need boldness. Give us boldness and give us courage, Lord, so that even in the face of an evil and oppressive government, we are still going to go and tell people about Jesus. They said no. And many of them died. In fact, all but one of the apostles were executed. The only one that lived was the apostle John. But he was banished to an island in uh, the, the island of Patmos, where he lived in solitary confinement for the rest of his life. They said no. So it seems like in the scriptures, there are examples for when we say no, when we civilly disobey. But when is it? I think in all of these examples, the answer is this. When God says do this, 
and the government says, don't do this, do this. Do you get it? Government says, or when God says do, and the government says don't do, do anyway. On the flip side, when God says don't, and the government says do, don't do. Is that simple? (laughs) When God says do, and the government says don't, do anyway. When God says don't, and the government says do, don't do it. Is that going to get you in trouble? It might. It could. But in that way, we obey what the apostles said in the book of Acts. We must obey God rather than men. In the event that the government is telling you to go against what Scripture clearly teaches, you go with God and let the chips fall where they may. Now, here's the thing. Most of what we talk about in our culture is not that. If we're saying, say, t- uh, uh, go with the lie that somebody is following about their own dysphoria and gender identity and so on, that's a, that's a complicated thing. But you may say, I can't in good faith and good conscience do that. I'm lying to that person. I need to tell the truth and love to this person and so on. And, and you may get fined. You may get in trouble with your job. You, things may happen to you if you do that. And you say, I'm going to go with God on that. That's one thing. If you see a red light and you say, I don't feel like like obeying that red light, and you go through, that's a different thing. You're going to get your butt whooped on that one. Okay? But over here, God is with you, and God says, I got your back. I'm with you on this. I got you, and I will be with you just as I was with the three Hebrew boys there in the fiery furnace. Do you see what's going on here? Most of the time, This is where we are, Romans 13. Submit. Do you like it? Probably not. But it's not about what you like. It's about who your king is. We serve a king who knows what it's like to live under evil governments. We serve a king who knows what it's like to be under governments that will lie and will cheat and will, and will bend the laws and twist the rules and so on for their advantage and for your disadvantage. We have a king who knows what that's like. We have a king who was standing in trial after trial after trial after trial when he should have heard not guilty, not guilty, not guilty, not guilty because they conspired with one another They ruled guilty straight across every single time. Guilty, 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 guilty. And even when they were stand, when he was standing before the people, the people joined in with the government and said, crucify him, crucify him. And yet here he is in this. He did not fight. He did not push back. He did not open his mouth or anything like that. Instead, he submitted to the ruling there, however unjust it was. And when he did so, you and I had a savior. 
He knows and he cares and he hears your cry when you say, Lord, this isn't fair. He hears your cry when you say, Lord, this isn't right. He hears your cry when you say, Lord, these people don't honor you. They don't trust you. They don't fear you, Lord. And they are ruling evil upon evil upon evil in our society. And our Lord says, I know, and I am the one who sits on a throne far higher than theirs. And I am the one who not only went to that grave, but I'm also the one whom God raised and put on a seat on a throne who is far above every rule and authority and principality and power. Listen to me. I'm telling you, submit to them. Because there's a day that is coming when I'm going to return, and when I return, I will take care of all of the business. I am the one who is going to right every wrong. I am the one who is going to settle every count. I am the one who will defend your cause. I am the one who will lift your head and exalt you in the last day. But right now, you follow. And trust me, that I am the one that's going to make all things new in the end. We serve, we submit to the government. Not because the government is good and righteous or so on, but because God has established this. And if God has established this, then every single one in a seat of power will answer to him in the last day. And so will you. So let's live faithfully. Let's honor and res- give honor to whom honor is due. Let's give respect to whom respect is due. Let's serve as if we serve a greater king. Let's trust that our king, who is king of kings and lord of lords, will have the last word in the last day. Y'all, I'm so excited because I know that a day is coming when there's going to be a kingdom that we won't have to have ethical dilemmas with. There is a king who is coming who will only be righteous and only be just and only be faithful forever. There is a king that is coming who will never break the law, the one whose law is good and right and kind. And there is one who is coming who will only be good forever. That day is coming. Until then, live well, submit well, be faithful. And look to the sky, because the Lord is coming, and he is coming soon. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we need your help. (laughs) When we are quick to complain, Lord, I pray that you would remind us of these words. When we are quick to grumble, Lord, I pray that we would look to the sky that we would see the Lord Jesus seated on his throne. We would cry out to him. Then we would go right back and do what he has called us to do. Lord, I pray that you would work a miracle among us. That those who are in authority would not use their seats of power and authority for selfish gain, They would not be so easily manipulated by lobbyists and, and, and focus groups and so on that they are, are totally confused about what is right and what is wrong. Lord, I pray that you would so move that they would see themselves 
as servants of your great name. May they fear you, the one true living God. And may they serve you well. As we await the return of our king, may we serve well. May we follow the laws of the land in as much as the laws of the land follow you. May we live well. May we love well for the glory of King Jesus. As we await his return, the Lord commanded that we celebrate and observe the Lord's Supper. He said to do this in remembrance of me. He said that we are to do this until he comes and joins us at the table. So right now, as we prepare to celebrate the Lord's Supper as believers, as followers of Jesus, why don't we take some time to prepare our hearts? Perhaps there is sin that you need to confess. Maybe it's sin that we've addressed in, that's addressed here in Romans 13. That could be the case. It could be that it is some other sin that the Holy Spirit is bringing to your heart right now and to your mind. Let's confess that sin to the Lord. It is for this sin, these sins, that our Savior went to the cross and gave his life. It's for these sins that he took upon himself the wrath of God. And yet it's for these sins that our Lord demonstrated his great love for us. For nobody wants us washed clean like our Savior. silently and then I'll come back and we will observe the Lord's Supper together.